I'm fact, sorry. All I'm doing is deliberately misquoting you to make it a much more sensationalized <laughs> statement. I think that's completely valid. <laughs> stop shop for news views and overreactions for all things nfl we've had a couple of very interesting games and apparently Sunday night football has gone back to the 1920s so hey we got connor here we've got sean hello and we got ronan hello how are you getting on lads we are in the midst of storm barra and it's apparently a lot worse for you guys down in cork and and, and those in Kerry as well so how, how are you finding it battening down the hatches remaining indoors not letting the cat out not seeing my fiance for the 15 hours which he's going to be stuck in work. It's just a normal day here in Cork. <laughs> um, we haven't lost power, which is the main thing. That was the one thing I was like, that would be pretty annoying. Held up so far, so doing good. Excellent. What about yourself, Ronan? How are you weathering it? Grant and had the uh, work Christmas party there on Monday, so that ended up actually being quite convenient that I got moved because of the uh, COVID stuff. Otherwise, I would have got called <laughs> off for the storm. So yeah. uh, all's well that ends well there, so... Yeah, that was quite enjoyable. And uh, any you know, just... any major scandal or goss? Nah, it was pretty pretty subdued. Like the, the weird thing with the company is because so much has happened over the last year and a half. Like a lot of people were meeting each other for the first time. Like because oh, yes. like most of the old timers left about a year ago, so it's a lot younger and, and different now. But uh, they all seem good, like people, and obviously the work has been fine, so can't complain too much. Very fun. Yeah, I did the. Uh, I went to the wrestling on the weekend, and it was great crack. And now it's just pissing rain. My house is in absolute tatters, but hopefully we'll, we'll be in much better state come the weekend. Definitely looks today there was good development, so I think I think we may have at least the plasterers out of here by tomorrow afternoon. We'll start onto the news, I suppose. Controversy corner. Oof, this is a doozy. We kind of heard some mentions or rumours of something like this beforehand. Tampa Bay wide receiver Antonio Brown has been suspended for three games for misrepresenting his COVID-19 vaccination status. Tampa Bay cornerback Mike Edwards and free agent John Franklin, who some might remember from the Last Chance U series, have been suspended for the same thing. This is obviously on the back of there was a lot of rumours floating around that Antonio Brown had not only used a fake vaccination cert, but had been offering other players that he could hook them up with fake certs if they wanted them as well, (laughs) which is just so stupid. There are questions abound about whether or not Tampa Bay knew this was coming and why maybe that was why they were slower to get him back from the dream, knowing that like he was going to be suspended anyway, so there's no point in bringing him in for half a game or whatever. Yeah, it's not a good look. I, I think it might be the first, but I could be wrong on that, time that this is punishment that's come not just from the NFL, but the NFL in conjunction with the Players Association. Antonio Brown, he got a fake vaccine card and used that as proof that he got vaccinated. And only this only came out because he failed to pay his uh, chef and then <laughs> fired him. And, yes, and he owed him like 10 grand. And that chef is the one who, about a month ago, like spread the rumor. Well, now we know the truth about what was believed to be a rumor that Antonio Brown wasn't vaccinated. So what it only caught Antonio out- Brown and chefs? Because didn't he have the story beforehand as well about he also failed to pay his previous personal chef? and claimed that he was being intimidated because the guy had fish heads in the freezer to make fucking fish stock. And he said, no, this is some Godfather shit. He's threatening to kill me. And then just refused to pay him for like four months of work. Like just pay pay your staff. Like you <laughs> end up... <laughs> pay the people who know that you've been lying. And then like, you know, th- then we hear that he's going around the locker room offering his 
services in inverted commas to other players and obviously it seems like at least one player in the locker room uh, took him up on that offer uh, only compounding it so I'm I'm surprised he only got three games on with you guys like I think there was initial reports that they were considering like a five to six game ban but for whatever reason they came down for three games and the NFLPA and the NFL but were happy to to go along with that but like look this is just a stupid 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 thing like when I if we go all the way back to the week one preview I said uh, the most embarrassing moment this season would be Antonio Brown does a thing. Well, Antonio Brown has <laughs> done a thing. Not that surprising with this knucklehead. Uh, like I think I believe he is vaccinated now. His lawyer basically came out and said, "Oh, he's vaccinated." You know, not giving any claim to when that actually happened. So I imagine so once he, this came up, he it, just got it, an emergency it, vaccination. And went, "Oh, I'm vaccinated now, so it's okay." Just a beautiful happenstance that he he finished his research at the point that this was going to enter <laughs> the media cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And like, look, like there are reports that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are, are going to release him once this period is over with, with the with the suspension. We'll be interested to see if they choose to keep him or not. Obviously, they they kept him or brought him in in the first place, despite all of the kind of crap going around him. Don't be surprised he gets released at the end of December either. Yeah, well, we'll have a look and see because obviously Tom Brady is a big fan of Brown and was instrumental in getting him there. And I think Tom Brady's kind of going to get what he wants from Tampa Bay. Although Tampa Bay also, as we mentioned, mostly Antonio Brown there. Mike Edwards, cornerback for them, an already weakened group, so probably not great to be missing him for three games. Carolina fired their offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. The senior offensive coordinator, Jeff Nixon, has been made the interim offensive coach. Brady had obviously came from the college ranks from the very powerful LSU seasons that he oversaw, but... Let's be honest, this team has not really had a quarterback answer for a while. Uh, Christian McCafferty has been in and out of the lineup the whole time. It was quite an inconsistent group he was trying to coach up. And to be honest, I don't think like the front office did them any favours of not really finding an answer for quarterback or, to be honest, proper depth at the running back position. So it was it was, it was a tough ask because like I'm not, I'm not sure what coach could take this Carolina roster, particularly their quarterback room, and make it look impressive. This is, this is must be a case where Matt Rule and Joe Brady just weren't gelling, for lack of a better term. Like that, that the relationship that you need to grow over several years just wasn't coming into fruition. I don't believe Joe Brady had much of an association with Matt Rule coming in when he became head coach, except that of course that they were both from the college level. And you know, like the output has been pretty disappointing overall. But as you say, there's huge mitigation for the fact that you know they've been lining out some pretty terrible quarterbacks. Well average to, to terrible quarterbacks between Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, and now Cam Newton. So uh, obviously you, you know, CMC has been missing large chunks of this game. So it's hard to really evaluate that Brady has done something wrong or that he doesn't have the capacity to create an innovative offense that could have the success he had in college. But obviously, you know, something internally, that's just how it went. And like, look, Joe Brady, obviously this is, an, is a bit of a setback for him, but I imagine he'll be getting a lot of offers coming to him from college teams looking to make him a head coach or an OC. A lot of big programs at the at college football level uh, have let their coaches or lost their coaches like Oklahoma and given what Joe Brady's LSU offense did when he had Joe Burrow in his final year and they set records and stuff like that I think for him most likely he'll end up going back to college getting a good job there and then see if he can rebuild the reputation to get another shot at the NFL if he's interested in doing that we got a couple of injuries around the league kind of big season ending ones Baltimore cornerback Marlon Humphreys has injured his shoulder and he's gone for the season another hit to that secondary uh, Kenyon Drake the running back for the Vegas Raiders has injured his ankle and he's gone for the season they do have Josh Jacobs coming back and he's played the last week or two and they're hoping he's kind of at 100% now but that's their one-two punch gone for the Ravens loss of Humphreys is a big loss to that secondary who are already missing some starters from the preseason. This is kind of very much a slowly staggering towards the the postseason Baltimore team at the moment. 
joining the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> at, least, at least the Titans know they're getting some of those guys back, though. It's already impacted the Ravens, as we'll talk about, given that they decided to go for two in the, in the game instead of kicking a field goal because, as John Arbaugh said, they basically run out of corners, so they didn't think they could actually win in overtime. So they've all this this injury has already cost the Ravens a, a game in, yeah. in what is quite a tough AFC race. And yeah, they're they're pretty screwed. To be down two All-Pro cornerbacks is yeah that's just yeah, bad it's, 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 it's a tough <laughs> pill to swallow smaller injuries Cincinnati quarterback uh, Joe Burrow has dislocated his little finger he's expected to play through it Mike Glennon the quarterback for the Giants has a concussion he's week to week Jake Brom is now likely the replacement as their starter Daniel Jones is still dealing with neck injury from beforehand Tyrod Taylor the quarterback for Houston has injured his wrist and he's week to week which means more of the absolute joy that is that uh, Houston offense getting even worse <laughs> Minnesota wide receiver Adam Thielen has an ankle sprain that's four weeks yeah that will that will impact them but we'll talk about Minnesota later won't we Sean Washington football team's tight end Logan Thomas has injured his knee and he's gone for two to six weeks so are any of those going to be big impacts one that jumps off the page for me is Washington has been kind of doing a little bit more of late and uh, Logan Thomas being out he's quite a good player for them and a nice safety valve for the let's be honest a slightly inexperienced quarterback Logan Thomas, they're actually relatively lucky. I think the initial diagnosis was it was a torn ACL and a torn MCL. So uh, they've done more tests and they don't believe anything's torn. So there's a chance that he can play at some point uh, at the end of the season. Given that they're in the playoff hunt, I'm sure they'd be keen to get him back and not have to play more of like Ricky Seals-Jones and stuff like that. Like Adam Thielen is a loss, so it just probably means more targets for uh, Justin Jefferson. And just to mention the Kenyon Drake injury, just one note that he made a social media post specifically calling out the tackle that led to his injury. You know, he was calling out that like you know people are getting fined for taunting and stuff like that, but dangerous mm-hmm. tackles like that don't have any uh, punishment. In terms of the, the Giants and Houston quarterback situation, it's just well more depressing. And Joe Burrow, like look, it definitely affected him in that game, as we'll talk about in in the reviews. But I think he he will probably be able to play through that. And on that, we'll move on. Have a look at the games from last week. So first up, we kind of mentioned at the top, New England at Buffalo went in the time machine and it finished 14-10. This was horrendous conditions, really, really bad. And New England decided that they just wanted to run the ball. (laughs) I'm very, very confused because I'm seeing a lot of infographics today going like, this is Tom Brady's first eight starts versus, you know, Mac Jones's first eight starts. Look how similar they are. I'm like, no, he didn't really start in this game because he literally had three pass attempts. Everything else is just handing off. I mean, Judon himself said, I think the team really pulled together apart from Mac. He just handed the ball off a lot. Um, 222 (laughs) rushing yards, like 46 rush plays to three pass attempts. Harris went for 110, Stevenson 78. This was, particularly in the early section of the game, a really, really fun defensive game because there was a couple of plays breaking out, but both sides were making good defensive plays, but then New England started to just be able to push through it. I will say the Buffalo team didn't shy away from passing it, even if they weren't getting the greatest of success. 145 yards and a touchdown for Allen, 39 rushing yards. But there's an awful lot of dropped balls, and the New England defense did a very good job of putting the receivers under pressure. It was such bad conditions that even the smallest bit of pressure was going to make it significantly more difficult for them to do it. But this was messy, windy, missed kicks, poor passes. New England are now the number one seed. It's all a little bit mad to think, particularly coming into the season, where we thought these two teams were. It's one because I'd seen a lot of people on Twitter kind of arguing about this, about is this 
what great real football is out the elements or is this kind of is this an argument for or against domes essentially was the question <laughs> because it's a very interesting different game but it's also neither of these te- teams playing to their full potential because of the inclement weather apart from i suppose on defense yeah if i'm the buffalo bills head office and i'm thinking about building a new stadium which i believe they are then i am looking at a dome right away because this is the latest kind of Buffalo weather game where now that the Bills are on primetime a lot more, we're actually seeing just how bad the weather is in Buffalo. And there's at least one or two games every year which are like this, which are just a disaster to play. And when your entire game, at least offensively, is built around Josh Allen and the stuff that he can do, it's a and you don't really have a run game, it's a very bad idea to be located in a city which has really shitty weather um, for like <laughs> half the season. Both offenses actually did surprisingly well. And this is a weird thing to say about a game to finish 14-10, but given how bad the weather was, given that there was, in one direction, you basically couldn't advance the ball at all, and then in the other one, it was a little bit better, but you know, even still, the, the wind was taking the ability to throw completely away. Both offenses did surprisingly well, considering the weather and considering how good both these defenses are. These are the top two defenses in terms of points allowed in the league with the weather behind them, and yet they still, both teams managed to get... 24 points between them. We can credit Belichick with one of his kind of wizard master strokes. I mean, he, I bet he loved this. He was like, oh yeah, 46 run plays, three pass plays. This is the kind of shit that only I can do. No one else would get away with this. Uh, it was just beautiful to watch. And it was an interesting, it, I was a little, I mean, Mac Jones did try and throw the ball. The first time he did it, it was, it was a throw that was just not going to work. Um, and they obviously gave up on it. And then the run game was quite interesting back and forth because the Bills had their periods of ascendancy against the Pats run game, but the Pats were also, they were working out the blocking and the scheming. It, it was very intricate kind of chess match, how much the Pats could actually run the ball. Particularly because like, the, the guys knew that they were running down their throat and they were still, whatever, 6.4 per, per, per carry. Like there was, no, there was no hiding, particularly in the second half, that that was what was happening and they still couldn't stop them. Yeah, it was strategy and counter-strategy, going through the middle, going outside. Nikhil Harry was blocking. They were doing kind of basketball-style pick plays. It was very interesting just to watch it in terms of, of what was going on in terms of that um, running game. And then eventually the Pats in the third quarter, they kind, of, they kind of grinded it down in the third and fourth quarter, got it done. Ramondre Stevenson had... He's really come back from, from being basically almost kicked to the curb by Balachik in the early season. He's come back to really establish himself. And now on the other side of the ball, it was the Pats' red zone defense. I mean, I was very impressed by Josh Allen's ability to throw the ball in the wind. I mean, he's got a really good spiral and a good arm. And this was, this was really demonstrated. Like he was, he was throwing the ball at times as if the wind wasn't there when it was clear that it was affecting everyone else. But if the Bills had a proper run game, they would have won this game comfortably because I think they are the better team, at least in terms of talent and, and kind of general ability. But this was a coaching win and this was a, a win of adapting to the weather conditions and getting things done. And it's really bizarre. I mean, this Pats team was two and four and were going nowhere. They had lost to the Saints. They'd barely beaten the Texans. They, the only team they seemed capable of beating were the Jets or the Texans. And now they're a game and a half ahead in the East Number one seed in the AFC. It's it's a very strange world to be in. If there were any doubts, and I very much doubt there are, but if there were any doubts that Belichick wasn't like this whole oh it was all Brady for twenty years. If there are any doubts that Belichick is a fuck the best goddamn head coach of all time, they've been really put to bed this season. This is an incredible performance, uh, and who knows where it's going to end if they can keep this up. And like it just the more to note that this game was like truly unique and uh, in terms of like having a dome whatever no this is 
what we love about the <laughs> NFL because like they're like we we have sports over here that mostly happen in open air uh, stadiums like rugby and soccer but like they usually if the conditions get too bad usually they just cancel the game or, just, or you know make the game go off a while but like you know you would never see something like say the polar vortex game that Buffalo had a few years ago where it was like multiple inches of snow you would never play during what looked like basically a storm you had like Nick Folk who's been money this year kicking it and then the ball going so far off that it ends up missing the net behind the field goal like this is just like you know when I said last week that you know 2021 was the year of the run I did not expect that to become <laughs> to its logical conclusion at the hands of Bill Belichick who seemed to be having the time of his life not only oh, with no. the uh, running the ball but then on defense like I think there's a there's a shot of him when when they stop the bills on fourth and short and he's they caught him smiling on the sideline and geez, this is real football real football mm. with real men kicking ass and to be fair like this is a huge psychological blow to the Buffalo Bills because New England obviously they were doing a lot of schematic stuff but you know if you know what they're doing versus pass versus versus run on any uh, on any play that's half the battle right well you didn't have any uncertainty in this game and you have what's supposed to be a really good defense and yet once again Buffalo's run defense against the very the teams who focus on the run and are good at the run came completely uh, undone here and now of course you know uh, New England have the the game like the games uh, game and a half ahead they have the tiebreaker and it was just a huge domination of a good team who have a good coach in McDermott but Bill Belichick as Sean said showed why he is the greatest of all time and why no one should ever count out uh, New England but like Alan yeah Alan was impressive but he was hurt a lot by those drops in particular from Dawson Knox and there was a couple of missed kicks though that's a bit more understandable the Buffalo could have won this game but I think you know New England until Buffalo got ahead and showed that they could be ahead, I think New England were just like, no, we'll wait. We'll just keep doing what we're doing. And if you can do it, great. Uh, we'll, we'll try something different. But until then, uh, we do what we do, and you just have to deal with it. And in the end, uh, it was more. It was enough. If you're a Buffalo fan right now, pretty depressing times. We'll move on to the other big game. Minnesota Vikings, Sean's <laughs> favourite, taking on the fan favourite, Detroit Lions. And they finally done it. They finally done it. They did it for Dan Campbell, 27-29. to The Detroit Lions win a game. Goff uh, went for 300 yards, three touchdowns, an interception, and a fumble. And he managed it with a walk-off touchdown to Amon Ra St. Brown. 88 yards and a touchdown after Detroit blew 6-20 halftime lead. Detroit's defense did a good job here. They got a fumble, three sacks, and seven tackles for a loss. Kirk Cousins looked a bit lost at times. He still, you know, had a Kirk Cousins stat line, 342 touchdowns and a fumble. But, like, it was just not very good two field goals a fumble and downs whenever they were in Detroit territory the first half they weren't able to close anything out as you mentioned look Thielen left early they were down here but Justin Jefferson is there and they do seem to be following the advice that we give every week they throw to Justin Jefferson he's rather good 182 yards and a touchdown but they still couldn't manage to get it and this is like they got heart this Lions team they just don't really have an incredibly good roster that means we're going to have no winless team this year. The guys finally get in it, and Goff finally gets that victory. No, it's good, and look, this is this has been a long time coming. They've had a couple of very close games where they should have just closed them out. This is one where they're able to kind of do it in the last second. I liked the play call at the end. I liked how they coached it. I liked the energy they had, and this feels like a very Minnesota loss to me. Like, this feels, <laughs> this feels correct. But, I mean, the Lions are not an 8-8 eight eight team, so I don't know what the Vikings are doing losing to them. I mean, it completely throws up the, throws out the, all of our 
uh, ideas about the Vikings. Um, although, to be fair, the Lions did try and throw this game away by making the most stupid fourth and one call I've ever seen <laughs> in my time watching football. On your own, like 25 yard line, two points up, four minutes to go, fourth and one. Okay, you need to get conversion to run the clock down because you don't trust your defense. But then to decide to go for a, a shotgun pass play. So you're actually <laughs> giving the Vikings extra yards. Uh, it was just so bad. In the end, I mean, ironically, it may have won them the game because if they'd just like punted it, the Vikings would have had more of the field to cover to get their touchdown and therefore would have taken more time. Mm. And therefore the Lions would not have had enough time left at the end. So you could argue that it's like level nine chess from, from Dan Campbell. Well, we know we won't stop them. So we need them to take as little time off the clock as possible. But yeah, I mean, I'm happy for the Lions. It was, you know, they have been threatening to do this for a number of weeks. They just ha- managed to pick the week where I didn't pick them to do the upset, uh, unlike last week. And for the Vikings, I God, I hope the season is over. Like, they're 5-7. and seven. I mean, they're still technically live because the NFC is, is a basket case below the top five teams. Last play, horrendous coverage. How the hell do you leave a receiver that open <laughs> when there's literally only one play you, you could run? You have to score a touchdown. So just stop all the people who are in the end zone from catching the ball. It doesn't seem to be that difficult. And Cousins, two bad turnovers as well. I mean, yes, he's good. He's had a good season. His stats are very nice, but he never seems to be quite good enough. I mean, the question I would ask any NFL fan is, would you actually trust this guy to be your team's quarterback? I doubt that... 25 of the 32 teams, if you ask the fan base, would you want Kurt Cousins as your quarterback? 25 of the teams would say no, because it, it doesn't matter. You can't trust him. He's not going to win the big games. Or he's not even going to win the little games, it seems, in this kind of situation. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Justin Jefferson is nice to watch, but the Vikings, I hope I hope we don't have them anymore. I hope this is the beginning of their slow descent to 5-12. and 12, uh, or uh, You know what's going to just say? They're not going to win one maybe two and just kind of keep it alive and keep them they're going to be around that 500 mark at the end of the season and because of the nfc the way it is that's probably going to be enough to keep them in the contention till at least week 16 anyway minnesota i still think they can make the playoffs the nfc is a true clusterfuck of all proportions you saw that obviously they have justin jefferson and look look fan base wise yeah you could probably find 25 fan bases who wouldn't take kirk cousins but you could also probably find like 20 executives or front offices that would take cousins because like He's so uh, he's so frustrating, but you do see enough from him that you're kind of like, this is probably better than having, well, certainly better than having like Sam Darnold or Teddy Bridgewater or people like that, and teams are just desperate to have something that's uh, fine. But to a certain extent, having a Kirk Cousins blocks your progress, and that kind of that's the problem with Minnesota. They're kind of a team that has had their progress blocked for so many years because Kirk Cousins is their quarterback. They they're never bad enough to truly need to blow it up, but they're never good enough to to truly like risk winning a Super Bowl. Like they've been in those playoffs and they've had good performances, but you like you know, when the chips are down and they come against a truly elite team, you never felt like they were able to, to, to scale that mountain. And just like you see Mike Zimmer and he's quite you know, he's he's obviously a very good coach and a very good defensive mind, but he doesn't seem to create a um environment that makes people excited to be a Minnesota Viking and then you look at the other side like Detroit have been absolutely trashed this year like they, they've lost some games completely they've lost some games in horrible horrible fashion you know on the buzzer that the Ravens loss in particular stands out and yet when they finally do get their win they, they're into it like they're keep they're fighting they're chewing those ankles and they keep going and I think that's a testament to look I'm not sure if Dan Campbell is a, is a good coach and if his coordinators are good enough to, to carry him but he's certainly good at creating a culture of where people want to be Detroit Lions and for a team which has such a depressing backdrop for a city that obviously has so many bad beats you know having a guy like that kind of makes sense for that team 
and it would just be nice that if they can get the right quarterback next year, like, you know, fair play to Goff for winning this game, but he's not a, a franchise quarterback uh, at this stage. No. Uh, we know that. If they could just get a quarterback, uh, they obviously have the running back, they have the offensive line, get some wide receivers and free agency, and then keep working on that defense, then, you know, there is a kernel of a team here, but whether that comes together in Campbell is probably more in hope than expectation right now. But Damas, he, he does serve a good football game and he, he does get the guys excited. So fair play to them. No winless teams this year. No 0-16-1, which I'm a little bit sad about. But like, you know, for Lions fans, I think it would have been injustice. But Minnesota, still in there. I'm not going to count them out until they're officially eliminated. Oh, God, but they're, they're never, never fucking winning anything is the thing. Like. Baltimore-Pittsburgh, 19-20. to This was a interesting one. Like, you would think that Baltimore should have destroyed this. Lamar had a decent day, 253, a touchdown and interception, and about 50 on the ground. He has hit that problem that we kind of, you know, we joked about for, for a couple of weeks about it. But basically, like, all he does is just throw at Mark Andrews. And that's what he kept doing, and it didn't work. He went to Andrews on a two-point conversion, but missed it. As uh, Sean, I'm sure you'll talk about, the lack of the cornerback seems to be playing into their thoughts on whether or not they could win in overtime and all those kind of issues and what that's going to mean for them as they continue on. Like, they had absolute dominance in the first half. They had the ball for, what, like, you know, over 20 minutes of it. It was crazy. But And this Pittsburgh team aren't very good on offense, but their defense came to play, and they seem to really have Lamar's number. So they had an interception, seven sacks and nine tackles for a loss in this. Watt got three and a half sacks, which I believe now pushes him, even though he hasn't played a full season, to the sack leader by two sacks at the moment. So uh, he's having a hell of a season. So Ben, you know, 200 and something yards, two touchdowns. Deontay Johnson had a decent day over 100, but this is nothing to do with the offense. Pittsburgh's offense is shite. It's all to do with their defense. And Baltimore just realistically just feels like they're running out of options Lamar is trying to do everything they're not getting it out to the wide receivers yeah it's, it's just it doesn't feel like they've got much they've just about won pretty much every game that they've won this season just about and they seem to be losing pieces off their team every single time and it's just it feels like it's too much and they're not going to be able to keep this up that this type of loss to a team that they really shouldn't have lost to was inevitable and that this is going to start happening now even more so as they've got more and more injuries i mean this is the ravens problem right now i think i've said this a few weeks ago when they were looking very good and they they kind of first claimed the number one seed in the AFC and they were kind of the AFC team that was still surviving. I was like, I don't trust them because they've been living on the edge all season. They've been, these are the kind of games they've been eking out kind of one point, two point wins all season. And that this is the danger with that kind of approach is that eventually you will fall short. Eventually you will have to do a two point conversion that you won't get. Eventually Lamar will have an off day. Eventually something bad will happen. I mean, the Ravens are a better team. They're eight and four which is a better record than they deserve for how they're playing, but kind of speaks to the level of talent that they have and that they have a very pretty good defense and they've got some very exciting pieces on offense. But like every AFC North game that doesn't feature the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, they just seem to get dragged into these defensive battles. And this was no different than this. It was 7-3 at halftime, even though the, the Ravens basically had the ball for the entire first half. Lamar threw a bad interception in the end zone at one point. I mean, the, off- the Ravens offense has been bad for quite a while now. It's like, I think they've, over the last four weeks, they've averaged something like 15 points a game, which is not, that's not winning the Super Bowl. That's, that's not even, that's barely, you maybe, know, maybe, maybe against that Rams team that time. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. If they had Bill Belichick as coach, maybe. But um, yeah, I don't trust this Ravens team. They're they're eight and four. They're probably going to end up somewhere around the two or three seed. But I don't trust them to go very far in the playoffs. I think Lamar, he's been asked to do too much. Plus, the problem is teams do kind of know how to get to him now. That if you blitz him, you you put pressure on you. You at least dampen his his kind of effectiveness to a certain extent and they were getting after them and the Pittsburgh Steelers did pr- have proven that when their defense is healthy it is still is st- it's still damn good it's just a shame they don't have an offense I mean this weird thing that Har- Harbaugh says I didn't think we are going to win it in overtime because we had no corners left the goddamn quarterback on the side of the pitch is, is Ben Roethlisberger whose career <laughs> ended about two years ago effectively the offense in this game turned up for one quarter for the Steelers they're somehow squeaking out wins but I can't see them making the playoffs the schedule they have is just too tough down the stretch their defense is quite good but their offense is a mess for the Ravens I mean it's still I still haven't I don't think they've shown us that they are actually uh, you know one of the best teams in the AFC I think they're capable of beating most teams in the AFC I think they're they're capable of winning games against most teams in the AFC but I don't think they're they've actually shown us they're one of the best teams in the AFC and I don't think they have that consistency to actually go very far once the playoff hits and they, they run up against teams who aren't going to, to let them squeak out these wins, I think they're going to be in trouble. Washington football team at the Las Vegas Raiders is up next 17-15. to 15. Brian Johnson, who I legit was like, oh, I think I went to college with a guy called that, hit a 48-yard <laughs> field goal. And that was enough to win with 37 seconds left as Washington kind of grinds down Las Vegas. Heineke had a pretty okay game. I've actually had a couple of people talking up Heineke a lot of late and I'm not quite there on it but I think he's grand. This one was 206 two touchdowns and an interception so it was pretty good. Some fun plays. The big one was Antonio Gibson kind of stepping up back into the role that he caught, I think particularly the tail end of last year. 111 yards on the ground, pounds the ball, really was kind of a dominant back in this Carr was held in check. I know they were missing the tight end and stuff like that, but like their first points were a field goal just before the half. They weren't able to really get anything going. Hunter Renfro was their top guy at just slightly over a hundred yards, but like it was it was an anemic performance and they were at home here. Like it was not great. But that's not to take away from the Washington football team. For some reason their defense seems to be performing better since it's lost stars to injury, which I don't know how that works exactly. And they're on the road. This is a Vegas team that is kind of its star is waning quite a bit and it seems to be kind of collapsing in on itself a tad, but not gonna take it away from them. Washington did a good job. The run game worked very effectively. They stayed relatively clean on the rest of the offense, and that was all it really took to do it against the Las Vegas team that just couldn't put the points up on the board. This is a study in execution and to study in why you can't trust certain teams and Vegas, like despite like the, the win that they had last week against the Cowboys, which as I said at the time I believe was mostly because the Cowboys were, were derping themselves in the head for most of that game. But against a team in Washington, which is obviously not a patch on Dallas in terms of it, like potential offensive explosion and maybe not even on, in defense, other defense is definitely improved. You know, they didn't make those mistakes. Now, there was the one interception, but but like besides that, Washington played a pretty old school effective type of football and Carr on the other side for Vegas is really this season being forced to basically do everything himself to give Vegas even a chance like Derek Carr is having a good season you know if he's available in the offseason for whatever reason if Vegas end up doing a full rebuild I think there you know there are at least half the teams in the league who would be delighted to get a Derek Carr I, I believe so. I think, like, based on what he's doing I this would, year... I'm originally ahead of, 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 of Cousins, but I wouldn't be kind of like, 
I think you'd maybe get eight teams who'd be interested. You know, Mahomes like and uh, Russell Wilson. It's uh, you know, it's difficult to remember that when you don't have a quarterback, things are desperate. And I think Derek Carr and a team that's ready to go. Like as I kind of said earlier this season, if he was on the Denver Broncos, he could be having a MVP type season in my opinion because of the kind of the, the support they have around them. But there's zero support around them with the Vegas Raiders. Their their defense is okay and improved over where it was last year, but still isn't a difference-making unit overall. The run game with Josh Jacobs is, you know, okay, but not great. It's just like a lot of mediocre pieces, and obviously, you know, they're missing Henry Ruggs because of the legal incident there, and they're relying on guys like Deshaun Jackson to show up. You know, I think Carr is making best what he is, but basically this team rides or dies with how Carr is playing, and in this game, he was mostly held in check, particularly in the first half, and that's been a huge problem for Vegas. Every single game, it feels like they have a... Uh, they have a slow start, except for that Dallas game. They've just had so many games this year that they've just not got out of first gear, and then they're in a hole, and then they make it kind of exciting, and then this game they actually got ahead, but then, you know, the lack of production early on ends up costing them. And then you compare that to Washington, who aren't the sexiest team by far, but I've kind of been up on them in recent weeks. I kind of talked why I picked them to win this game last week, and they have a game plan that's working ever, to, ever since they came off the bye. They're running the ball really well with Antonio Gibson, who's showing the talent level that he had last year, and seems to be getting over his shin injury that kind of affected him in the first half of the season and he's getting over 100 yards now and then in Heineke like I like Taylor Heineke not because he's good but because he has that element of chaos around him he has that for lack of a better term Fitzmagic and just a note that I think it's been officially confirmed Fitzmagic isn't going back this year but he has that kind of sense of he could be solid, he could do some interesting things, he can play within the system, but there's a, I don't know, there's something in him that also occasionally makes him do stupid, crazy things, like take a, on, uh, kick a big run that he shouldn't, uh, pass it deep, I think he had like a dropped interception here that probably should be picked. So he has that kind of sense of chaos, which, uh, you know, isn't necessarily the most productive, but is very interesting to watch, and in this game, and in these games with Ron Rivera's defense actually picking up and starting to look like the Washington defense we expected, with the run game going, that's enough but also it doesn't make them like like a Denver team where Teddy Bridgewater is so boring or so terrible, depending on the game, that he's just unwatchable most of the time. Heineke has a little bit of spice that makes you want to, to tune in every game, even though the Washington game plan isn't necessarily the most dynamic. Yeah, big win for Washington here, puts them onto the number six seed and puts them in a good position to get to the playoffs. Uh, and given where results go, maybe even for the NFC East, they, they could knock off the, the Cowboys. So, but I think the Cowboys are a little bit better. Next up, Chargers at Cincinnati. This was not as spicy as we expected at the end but the actual content of it was pretty fun it was a game of absolutely crazy swings back and forth so chargers had a 24 point lead before letting <laughs> letting the i think the the Bengals come all the way back into it then mixon fumbled the ball and uh Chargers were then able to kind of get it back together and square it up. I remember, I think it was you, Sean, that was messaging during this saying, it's a question of, will they bungle it or will they Chargers going to charge? One of the two is going to happen here because both these teams are infamous for just making up balls of stuff when they should be winning. Burrow had a couple of mistakes that were costly. The Chargers defense were just getting after them six sacks in this game. They really need to kind of do a bit more work on that line uh, to try try and keep them keep him upright you'd think given the injury last year that they would have done a little bit more but obviously we can't disagree with the uh, first round pick of Jamar Chase he has although not as much in recent weeks been a very good matchup for them Herbert had a nice day 370 yards three touchdowns and interception and Williams went for 110 it was pretty good but to be honest he also had a couple of ones that could have gone the other way on him there was a couple of kind of taking shots that it was impressive that they worked out but could have gone against them as well so it was a good performance from the Chargers but Again, 
they just kind of slipped and just didn't have the concentration and had to kind of get kicked back into gear to be able to finish this because I don't think 41 to 22 is representative of how close this game felt at times for the Cincinnati Bengals again on this kind of the schizophrenic kind of like one week they're incredible the next week they're making mistakes I get that there was the, the injury to the small finger for the for the quarterback that their offensive line wasn't looking the best that they had a couple of costly mistakes this is a, a bit of a strange a messy messy game it, it's like it's like both these teams just can't get over how actually talented they are so they feel they have to screw up constantly I mean there was seven turnovers in this game I mean two obviously talented but quite flawed teams in the end I mean seven and five feels about right for both of them they're both in that area where they're above average but they're not quite I mean, executing the way that they want to I mean, the Chargers, I mean, less interesting in, in a way because of the win. They Obviously, Herbert is quite good. It was good to see Mike Williams getting involved. They're, they're trying to long plays a bit more. He was kind of out of it the last few few weeks, but they're trying to bring him back into the offense. The defense did better than I expected. Their run defense is their obvious weakness, which against Mixon would have been a huge problem. But they actually did okay here in kind of holding it down. I mean, apart from the middle bit where they gave up 22 points in, in like a heartbeat, the Chargers pretty much dominated this game. It, the Bengals did not play well at all. And this, the fact that they, you know, were within two points at one point is actually an indictment of just how crazy this game was. I mean, the Bengals, is, is they're a weird team, right? There's a lot of talent, but they don't always execute very well. I was very disappointed with the, the Cincinnati defense, especially the secondary. I have, I have a lot of love for the the Bengals secondary. Awuzie in particular, I, I really like. He had a pretty good game here, including a pick, but he did get beaten on some throws. I mean, Eli Apple is playing the best I've ever seen him play, which um, given I've been on him for a while for being the shittest cornerback in the league, I feel it necessary to mark that out. So <laughs> they, they have some players who are playing well and some good players, but there also are some deficiencies. They were very poor in the red zone defensively here. Jesse Bates had a very bad game, although he recover, recovered a fumble. I mean, this is the game it was. It was like the worst player on the, on the field in terms of how he played. Jesse Bates ended up recovering a fumble. It was quite important in terms of getting the Bengals back into it, but he did get beaten on a number of end zones pros. The Burrow thing on offense, I mean, the question was, was his injury affecting him? I know, Fitz, you said you thought it did. Uh, in watching the game, I was like, I, I can't actually remember a pass that wasn't thrown well because of the injury. I mean, he, he made he had two interceptions. One of them was not his fault. I mean, Jamar Chase just basically gave the defender uh, the ball. And then the second <laughs> one, it was kind of chasing the game by two scores and you have to push it. You're in the red zone and you have to push a, a pass play into the end zone that you probably wouldn't do under normal circumstances. So I don't really play. I don't think Burroughs was affected by... I don't think he played badly because of the injury. I don't think the Bengals maybe are, are coached. I mean, maybe the coaching isn't as good as the Bengals' talent deserves whereas the Chargers do have some good coaching but are, are maybe not quite as talented that maybe explains why both of these teams are perhaps not quite as we expect them uh, on paper going down the stretch I mean it's really hard to see <laughs> either of these teams could make a run that ends up in the Super Bowl or either of these teams could end up missing the playoffs I mean it kind of feels like it's going either way for them the Chargers I think have a slightly easier schedule so they, they probably will make the playoffs the Bengals I mean all of the AFC North teams have a kind of disastrous difficulty in terms of the end of the schedule mostly because they're playing each other a lot so I mean the Bengals could still win their division they could easily just also finish fourth in their division um, so very hard to say but yeah coming out of this you know exciting teams to watch but I wouldn't trust them because each of these teams has the ability to throw games away as they demonstrated in this game just the Bengals were better at throwing the game away uh, in this one than the Chargers were but I'm sure the Chargers are going to charge perhaps next week, or at least somewhere definitely down the line before the end of the season. 
disheartening for them, but like you say, kind of either one of these could kind of turn it on and go on a go on a run. It's just if I, I, for some reason, it's I think you're right. It might be some kind of confidence thing within the team as well. With the Cincinnati Bengals, just doesn't seem inspiring. With the Chargers, new into it, coaching staffs so are probably playing into that a bit as well. Sam Brown at Seattle is the last kind of one of our big game reviews at the moment. That is a surprise result to us. I think uh, 23 to 30, Seattle come away with the win. Jimmy Garoppolo just shy of 300 yards and two touchdowns, but he also threw two interceptions in kind of a bit of an up and down day this final pass was meant for uh Sherfield, but Dunlap got his hand on it batted it down and Seattle and oh, geez, it's been a long time since we've this their first win in over a month Russell Wilson finally starts getting going again over 200 yards and two touchdowns he did throw an interception as well but it's been it's better yeah like they had a very fun special teams play in this where they ran a fake punt for a 76 yard touchdown to try and get themselves getting going which was good the defense looked a little bit better and as we mentioned there was two interceptions and I think there was a recovered fumble as well so this was a much better performance from them it was to be honest a much worse performance from San Francisco than I was expecting to see but this is an in-division NFC West game they do tend to go a little bit mental against each other and they do tend to have that kind of snake eating its own tail that every one of them can beat each other in different spots so it was it, I suppose it was semi-destined to be a bit of a weird one for it but yeah underwhelming from San Francisco nice to see Seattle back on track in what is let's be frank a lost season even though I suppose this only puts them what three games out the NFC, you can never count anyone out. That's how dumb it is. Uh, you know, like Washington and San Francisco are the two uh, wildcard teams besides the Rams right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, teams like Carolina, New Orleans, Minnesota, like they're all live and, you know, you wouldn't trust any of them as far as you control them. But like, look, for Seattle, this kind of felt like a game where, you know, when some come, someone comes out of a coma and they're still trying to, like, they're going into like, to, to physio and they're trying to get back on their feet. And this was the first sign of progress after the, you know, uh, Russell Wilson injury coma, basically. And they finally start to look a little bit like the Seattle team that we expect an offense. And the defense, which has been improved, also showed up as well. And to be honest, this, this definitely felt like Seattle versus San Francisco and their own tight end, Gerald Everett, because he had two fumbles in this game and the interception from Russell Wilson was tipped by him in the end zone. Basically, Seattle had the ball in field goal range uh, to kill the game off, making a two-score game with like less than about two minutes left. And then he fumbled the ball literally on the goal line. So, yeah, Gerald Everett, uh, you know, uh, my theory is that he is a obviously a former Ram and the logic of the NFC West is that the Seattle Seahawks nearly always beat the San Francisco 49ers and the 49ers nearly always beat the Rams and the Rams nearly always beat the Seahawks uh, with the Cardinals just being this like chaos team um, that's good or bad, uh, you know, however they are. Gerald Everett just like forgot that he's on the Seahawks off the ramp but thankfully Seattle everything else was going well and they should have won this game by more to be honest uh, because as you say they had that early spark from the special teams touchdown um, great to see that like Pete Carroll's obviously just trying stuff now that they're kind of in desperation mode the, and the turnovers obviously are big like getting three of those uh, but I think the big reason that they won this game is that their run defense was really effective and um, they really put it up to Elijah Mitchell he had a very mediocre game by his stand 22 carries for 66 yards uh, he had a touchdown uh, as well and so this is a game where if you take away the run game we know that Jimmy G doesn't look any way near as good as he does when he has the run game available to him so in this game the pressure was put on Jimmy G he had to get it going and outside his connection to George Kittle with Debo Samuel out he didn't really have much going like George Kittle had a monster game besides that really Jimmy G struggled a lot and then that kind of felt like you know they had the opportunity to tie this game up with their final drive they get all the way down to the red zone and then he had Trent Shearfield open but just didn't get away quick enough so 
it just felt like one of those games where Seattle, you know, they they've always they always loved getting in these close games, and this is the first one this season where it felt like, oh, this was this is what Seattle do. They win these games, they get it done, and and they get the win over San Francisco. Like you know, they had advantages here with the turnovers and the fact that like San Francisco's 49ers secondary is basically non-existent right now. But given where they've been the last month, I will definitely take it right now to have any sense of hope for this team. No, of course, and obviously there's lots of little storylines you're going to bring up now. We've got obviously the 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 controversy over whether or not James Robinson is being benched intentionally in Jacksonville. We've got you know Gardner Minshew getting his first start, but all that kind of I think will roll together as we throw a ball to you and you kind of go and try not get tackled behind the line of scrimmage. It's the dump off with Fitz. Yeah, and starting with Sunday night football, an important game, but one which perhaps wasn't that interesting to watch for most of it. Denver at Kansas City, nine to twenty-two. Kansas City once again put it together a defense first win where they had three turnovers which were key including a Daniel Sorensen 75 yard pick six Boo. redemption for Sorensen no you <laughs> it'll just encourage them to play him more says Connor please don't do that but the thing is Sorensen played well in this role because they didn't have him on the field very often because he's good if he's just kind of put in for the odd play he should not be a constant starter but like overall the defense continues to be really effective we've seen this over the last what feels like like month and a half or so obviously Chris Jones continues to be a menace and like it's it's good that that's happening because obviously Mahomes didn't really do much against what we know is a really good Denver secondary like those explosive plays aren't going to happen against that secondary and so 183 yards an interception like it wasn't a terrible game but just you know we obviously expect more from Mahomes and the offense was mostly kept in check by Denver uh, but other teams have, have had that as well but like look the, the, the Denver side like they're a team that has to play mistake free football and offense to have a chance and Teddy just couldn't do that in this game he had uh, two interceptions obviously including that uh, pick six uh, he had 257 touchdowns so overall the, the numbers aren't the worst but just you know he just had way too many games this season where he's just thrown the the game away where he's been the problem and for the guy we kind of think of as steady teddy that's a huge issue because he obviously does not have the like the talent to kind of justify playing him if he's not avoiding mistakes if he's not being an effective game manager and of course this is happening in the context where they had a really effective run game williams uh, Javante williams their rookie was the sole starter because uh, Malvick gordon missed this game he had over 102 yards he looks like an absolute beast he makes guys miss on every single uh, rush it feels like and he is definitely one who's going to be an engine of this team going forward in the future but if your quarterback can't get it done with a running back that effective major question marks about what you're doing at that position Um, and that's just basically the question we've had about Denver all year so look the turnovers and the failure to convert some long drives in the touchdown I think there was like an 88 yard uh, drive in this game that ended up with no points for Denver on downs those are the type of things you can't afford against this Kansas City team that aren't really giving you many opportunities right now so Kansas City go atop the AFC West we'll see if they can start competing for that number one seed they're certainly in a good position right now Next up, Arizona at Chicago, 33-22. Kyler's back, and he's looking pretty good. He didn't pass much in this game, but he still managed to have 122 yards and two touchdowns in the passing game, and 59 yards and two touchdowns rushing the ball. I think it's his most yards rushing this, this this year, so we might see a bit more of that rushing going forward. But look, he looked effective. It was, to be fair, were very tough conditions. It was raining a lot. He had a few early hiccups, um, kind of botched snaps, but thankfully got away with it. But really, the Arizona defense was the star here, because he didn't need to get all those yards, because Arizona was turning the ball over got four interceptions from Dalton and they sacked him three times for good measure and they uh, stuffed Montgomery three times for, for three tackles for a loss so they were dominant over what felt like a hapless Chicago offense which just couldn't get it going in the rain Dalton as I said was pathetic to be fair being harassed all the time couldn't get any time to, to execute anything and then Darnell Mooney for example who's been on a bit of a tear did very little in this game so 
we just didn't have the time to do anything and just a very poor game overall for Chicago kind of depressing and the only thing they really had going for them is that like Dave Montgomery continues to be effective 141 yards and a touchdown but of course once again that begs the question if your running backs doing that well why can't your quarterback play in any way usefully you know big questions there for uh, Chicago though in theory they have their solution waiting in the wings in Justin Fields next up Dallas at New Orleans 27-17 like big plays were the big difference here in Thursday night football Dallas put enough big splash plays together between CD Lamb and 122 yards and Pollard 74 yards and touchdown mostly taken up with like a 50 something touchdown that kind of was like the knife in the New Orleans uh, opportunity this game their defense got a lot of takeaways mainly at the end of the game kind of just making sure that the, the New Orleans Saints didn't have a chance to make a comeback and obviously uh, Micah Parsons continues to be a, a defensive player of the year candidate with the way he's terrorizing opposing offenses and quarterbacks and look Taysom Hill you're kind of going okay is he the answer a quarterback or the best answer well based on this game uh, the answer is I don't know no idea like he had four interceptions admittedly most of those were in the game was already out of hand in the fourth quarter but he had like you see he had uh, two touchdowns he had 264 yards passing he didn't look terrible as a passer but he didn't look good as a passer he's just very mediocre um, but he did have 109 yards rushing showing off his unique skills but his fundamentals are just yeah they're just not quite there for you know effective reliable football and he was dealing with a finger injury as well so that puts his you know status potentially in doubt though the indications are that he will continue playing so look New Orleans defense is playing lights out they've been really good all year but given that they were left out in the field for long time for such long periods because New Orleans offense just had no consistency it's just uh, New Orleans are losing a lot of games like this at the moment if they had Drew Brees this year they could easily have three or four extra wins but yeah just the way things have gone that's just not happening and it doesn't look like anything's going to happen for them going forward if you have Hill or Simeon as your quarterback options next up Tampa Bay Atlanta 30 to 17 uh, one of these games that felt uh, reminiscent of Tampa Bay's early forays this season where they kind of played with their food to a certain extent and allowed Atlanta to hang around but eventually the difference in class showed and Brady was dominant at 368 yards four touchdowns uh, but then one weird pick six that uh, I think uh, he was trying to dump it off to the to the running back and ended up getting intercepted uh, for a pick six so careful with those dump offs Tom you, you can't just uh, give it to Fournette each time but like the outside of that they they had yards for for you know for miles basically Godwin 143 yards in the touchdown Evans had nearly 100 yards Gronk had two touchdowns Fournette nearly had 100 yards in the touchdown so they were all leading against an Atlantic defense that did pretty much zero outside that pick six on the other hand like Matt Ryan he's doing his best but he's been pressured to hell because their offensive line is terrible and I think Jalen Mayfield in particular is turning out to be a really bad uh, pick from a couple of years ago he found Gage for 133 yards but you know they had zero points in the second half and they really didn't do much with that what that was a decent first half performance Cordero Patterson continues to be the only thing worth watching on this offense with 96 yards like Ryan isn't a bad quarterback he's another guy who could definitely go to a team that's ready to go like Denver and be quite good again but on this Atlanta team that's in a full rebuild basically in terms of roster nothing happening for them next up Giants at Miami 9 to 20 Miami get their fifth straight win and a typically tidy if you know somewhat uninspiring performance against a Giants team that was starting Mike Lennon that's probably all you need to know about where the Giants are right now like Tua is very good on play action very good in RPO otherwise very inconsistent not trust in the red zone but 244 and two touchdowns can't really complain that much and Jalen Waddle continues to be a revelation this year with 90 yards and you know they're that's good because their run game is still doing nothing less than three yards to carry here 
But look, the Miami defense is the star of the show for them on this winning streak. They had an interception, three sacks, seven and seven tackles for a loss, and only allowed 250 yards of total here. To the Giants, you know, to be fair, that's against Glennon, who's terrible and inaccurate, and Saquon was bottled up and he had 74 yards, so I'm not really ready to say that Miami are a genuine contender, but if they keep putting away these tomato cans, they're not someone to be dismissed either. They, going are, forward. they are stringing those wins together now in a worrying mind, because we saw them live and they do not look like they should be playing. Next up, Philly at the Jets, 33-18. Uh, there was a bit of early back and forth here where it looked like we might have a, a bit of a contest, but unfortunately that gave way to Philadelphia dominance as Mitchu Mania is back. Um, 253 yards, two touchdowns as he picked apart a Jets defense that basically didn't seem to exist. Uh, the Dallas Goddard uh, first touchdown drive in particular stands there where Dallas Goddard got open three times for what felt like, you know, he had no one within 20 yards of him. I don't know what's going on, Robert Salah, but you need to do something about how bad this defense is. Um, and then in the second half in particular, Philly then got the run game going and Sanders at 120 yards of the 185 that they got together. And of course, that's without Jalen Hurts and the op, like, you know, the threat of his running. So uh, I've said all year, just run the ball, Philly. You can do it without Jalen Hurts. You can probably do it every game. On the other hand, for the Jets, like, like Zach Wilson probably had one of his better games. Two touchdowns, an interception, 226. He looked very good early on in this game. Had a nice uh, touchdown to Elijah Moore, but things kind of petered out quite quickly. And it's just a situation where that offense is so deficient in talent and Philly have an okay defense that whatever they scripted up for the first two drives worked but whatever they're doing consistently or Wilson figured things out himself didn't really go anywhere and he too here he wasn't helped by the fact that they they brought in a rookie kicker and he missed three PATs um, so you had this 21 to 18 game where they both had three touchdowns early on it was yeah just classic jetsing at that point and they just gave way after that Next up, Jacksonville at the Rams, 7-37. The Rams pulled away here in the second half as Stafford got hot. He had three touchdowns here and in 300 yards. He found Cup for 130 and a touchdown. And Michelle filling in for Daryl Henderson, who missed the game, had 121 and a touchdown the first time the Rams had a 100-yard rusher this year. So that just gives an indication of how bad this Jacksonville defense is. It's not like their offense is much better. Lawrence at 145 yards. Just another very poor to so-so performance. But he's getting no help from the run game. As you said, Robinson had an early fumble and then it was pulled. So you play more of Carlos Hyde. I don't know what that is a solution to, but uh, hey, Urban Meyer, you do you. Or at least for now, hopefully maybe not for too much longer. But like, look, for the Rams, there'll be tougher tests ahead for Jacksonville. They're already counting down the games to the, to the offseason. Finally, Indianapolis at Houston, a game that pretty much went exactly as you expect, 31-0. to It was a trivial win for Indianapolis. They just rode Taylor to the win, 143 yards and two touchdowns. Wentz had a touchdown as well, but basically had to do anything as he took about the passenger seat after his you know, interesting performance last week. But like the Indianapolis defense obviously, you know, pitched a shutout here, allowed 141 yards total net. Uh, they had two turnovers, four sacks, the overwhelmed, the pathetic Houston offense as Tyrod Taylor had 60 yards in total and literally his first play was an interception. That was an indication of where this game was going. And it was so bad he ended up getting benched for Davis Mills, who was, to be fair, equally awful. Um, so Indianapolis, they're staying competitive in that, in that wildcard hunt that's quite close in the AFC. Houston, like Jacksonville, counting down the days of the offseason. So that's the dump off for week 13. Talk to you next week. Excellent. So we'll go and have a look at the games for next week. So, Thursday Night Football, Pittsburgh at the Minnesota Vikings. Me and Sean have gone for Pittsburgh and Fitz has gone for Minnesota. I know, Sean, yours is probably based just purely on dislike for Minnesota. <laughs> Spite. Hatred. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think the Steelers played quite well, in the, the, well, reasonably well, at least defensively against the Ravens. I, I mean, 
Yeah, I just don't trust the Vikings. I just can't give them wins, especially against good teams. I mean, again, this is an interesting one because Pittsburgh are probably around an eight and eight or nine and eight or whatever, eight and nine or eight and eight mm-hmm. and one team. So this is a interesting test if the if the Vikings thesis still holds. I would say, given the Big Ben is playing a little bit better than he's been playing in a while, given their defense seems to be back to its usual stuff, given the Vikings are just very blah. I, I think the Steelers, I, w- I would eat them. I would give them just a, a, a tiny, tiny margin in this one to win. Yeah, I just I think this Pittsburgh defense will be able to put enough pressure on Cousins, and I don't trust Cousins. Like, look, like Minnesota, obviously, they're very up and down. Obviously, I think they'll probably still be missing Dalvin Cook for this yeah. game, so that's a major loss. And obviously, Adam Thielen will probably miss the game as well. So there are good reasons to pick against them. But like I... I just genuinely, like, you know, Pittsburgh, obviously, they had that one good quarter. They managed to get the game against Baltimore. But, like, Minnesota were still able to move the ball against Detroit. They've been able to move the ball pretty well. And even though, uh, yeah, I expect Kirk Cousins will get uh, sacked a fair few times. I think Justin Jefferson can get going. KJ Osborne get going. Maybe a bit of Tyler Conklin. I think Minnesota can get enough production here. to put, And if they can just convert that into touchdowns, into some reliable points, then if you put Pittsburgh into a hole of, like, two touchdowns, I don't really see them having a way back. So I'm not really willing to trust this Pittsburgh win over Baltimore like Baltimore are just so flaky themselves you can't really go too much into it like also Minnesota will be in the wild card and there's nothing you can do about it so they're going to win this game yes we and can. also make it more likely that Pittsburgh will finish with 8-8-1 eight, eight and one, um, which is the perfect perfect ending we'll see we'll see you can imagine this Pittsburgh defense wrecking shit in this one but we'll see on to the early set on Sunday Seattle at Houston oh my god what a shit game Ronan we've all taken Seattle so you've really turned that corner Look, I, I don't want, I, I don't expect Seattle to come out here and like blast them out of the uh, stratosphere necessarily. But if they can just put together a good, solid offensive production, like let's say 250 yards and a couple of touchdowns for Russell Wilson and maybe 100 yards on the ground and win out like by you know two touchdowns, then that'll be happy for me. But like, look, with that win against San Francisco, Seattle are still technically alive if they want to show that they have any hope. Uh, for the end of the season. And they have a pretty light schedule outside their in-division games. They need to show that they're back here with a win against Houston. And look at you, getting it nice and easy. Tyrod Taylor's not even going to be in the game against you. So, uh, <laughs> just a, a nice easy mark for you. Next up, probably a slightly chunkier game, Baltimore-Cleveland. Myself and Fitz have gone for Cleveland. Sean's gone for Baltimore in this one. Since... It's an interesting one. Both teams on a downslope. Both teams with a lot of injury issues. Both teams with question marks, but both very live. Both in division rivals both looking to try and solidify that space and push up to win the division it's uh it's an exciting one i mean exciting in terms of two teams who are in the hunt and it's the result is important it's an exciting storyline <laughs> i think if sunday night football two weeks ago taught us anything this game is going to be a grind and a half this is going to be two defenses attempting to smother two offenses which are not quite firing at all cylinders. I expect another 14-13 or 15-12 kind of game. And even though I said in the game review that I don't trust the Ravens, I trust the Browns even less at this point. I've given up on the Browns this season. I, I don't think they're going anywhere. And I think this is the, the ceiling. I think Lamar... I think Lamar has a better chance against the Cleveland defense than Baker does against the Baltimore defense, and therefore that gives me the, the really? edge to the Ravens in this one. Yeah, oh. I just, ugh, I'm See, just the, over the, thing, the like, I'm like, just I, over the Browns this point. I, I think it's over. I, I think in this game the best unit is the is the Browns defense. I, it's an interesting dilemma for me personally because I think the Browns defense is very effective. They were you know that close from making Lamar's life as difficult as, as Pittsburgh made it for Lamar, you know, in their game a couple of weeks ago, where Javave and Clowney, like he was just, could feel the fabric on uh, Lamar's jersey, but couldn't quite bring him down. 
and obviously they're coming off a bye, they're a bit healthier. Um, but for me, the big dilemma for Cleveland is obviously they have Kareem Hunt back, Nick Chubb is back in the lineup, so they have the, the tandem, they can run the ball, but in theory, they, they should actually pass the ball because, you know, Baltimore don't have any of their corners, they're missing one of their safeties, their secondary, in theory, should be incredibly vulnerable, and so there's an opportunity here for Baker Mayfield, if he's got a little bit healthier over the bye, to sling it a bit and to kind of, you know, get some production going. Now, given what we've seen this year, it's very hard to trust that. We've seen too many games where Baker's, like, interceptions and turnovers have been the reason they've lost games. But given where Baltimore are after that Marlon Humphrey injury, it's a very interesting question of whether Cleveland will choose to target what seems like an obvious weakness now on that Baltimore defense. Yeah, look, we'll see. We'll see. I can see both sides of it. Either way, I think you're right anyway, Sean, on the idea that this is going to be a bit of a, a slobber knocker kind of, you know, close and gritty and not all that exciting one for the purists. Uh, Atlanta, Carolina is up next. Me and Fitz gone for Carolina. Sean's gone for Atlanta. This is a bit of a bit of a boring game. Um, technically playoff relevant. Technically no. very playoff relevant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Carolina coming off a bye. Hopefully they'll be, you know, fine. They were doing a little bit more. They don't have CMC anymore, so we'll see what what their plan is. They've had a week to figure out what that's going to be is and whether Cam Newton can get it going again. Atlanta, look, they've kind of they had their little bit of a bounce earlier on. They are still playoff relevant, but it was it wasn't looking great last week against admittedly a good Bucks team, but like, you know, we'll we'll see. Either one could win this. I don't really care. I'm going for the home team in it and that they're coming off a bye and maybe they figure something out with Cam. That's about it. Next up, Dallas at Washington. Now this this is my pick of the week. I think it's a rare occasion. Normally, Sean, we give it to you to talk about these NFC East matchups, <laughs> but this one I'm actually quite excited about. I've gone for Washington this one. I changed my mind at the last second. I was going for Dallas, who I do think are a good team, but have look they've they're coming off a bye and they'll be a bit relaxed but like they are in a tailspin like they lost multiple games against teams that they shouldn't have this Washington team is coming in hot their defense has been heating up and doing good things they've got a good running game this Dallas team wasn't able to handle running games because like you know it was the Broncos and it was well the Chiefs didn't actually pass very much against them that they lost to like these are these are things that, that, that will stand their stead. These games are wacky, wacky, wacky bullshit games whenever they happen in division and Washington are at home, so Dallas have to travel a big distance as well. Like this is in all honesty, this should be a spot where Dallas come in, wipe the floor with Washington and make me look incredibly stupid. But because it's the NFCs, because it's just that weird at this time of year, and how Dallas have been on form lately, I think this is Washington's chance to push themselves back into contention for that division because it, it, it did seem too strange to me that five weeks ago we were able to say well we've got a clear favourite in this one Dallas need to play a clean game to win this like they are obviously a better team in terms of what we've seen like their peak this year and in terms of the talent that they have particularly in offence probably we'll get Amari Cooper back in this game so they'll finally have the full complement of C.D. Lamb Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper that could make a huge difference against the secondary with Washington that's been playing mm-hmm. pretty solid but doesn't really have the like the depth in talent. If Dak can look like Dak looked like earlier this year or like early last year where he was slinging and, and dealing then this could be as you say a blowout for Dallas if they get back but they've just been incredibly sloppy over the last month or so like uh, like that Vegas uh, Thanksgiving game stands out as particularly egregious but as I said there were injuries there so maybe they were just needed to get over that and you know Dak Prescott perhaps you know needs to support system around them and I think they need to stop running the ball as much with Zeke Elliott like I realize that he is you know creating the conditions that Tony Pollard is succeeding in like it's easy to look better as the kind of uh, relief back but 
Zeke isn't fully healthy. We we know that. They should give him some rest and not listen to Jerry Jones, which is just should be a, just a rule of thumb in general for that fucking organization. And just use Pollard in that bell cow role. Give Zeke some uh, carries on the side if you want. Invert that relationship. And I think you know if Dallas can play clean. They have enough offensive talent that they should do it. And their defense, while you know very flaky, is definitely improved over. They have Micah Parsons, and he's been an absolute terror. So Washington, who obviously I've talked up over the last few weeks, I think they have a very solid game plan. They run the ball very well. They have these long drives. But I'm expecting here that Dallas can get, get back on track, get their offense going. And if they can score like 30 points, I don't think Washington have that upside in terms of points in, in them. Yeah, no, it's always an interesting one within this division, particularly this late in the season. Sean, tell us about the horrendous sensation that is Jacksonville taking on the what's left of the Tennessee Titans. It's the Titans just trying to limp to the playoffs, get, you know, just if they could just wipe off the last five weeks of the season, they'd probably take it right now. I mean, they're they basically just got to keep winning enough games to just about stay ahead of the Colts. That's all they really need to do. And these are the kind of games that they have to win. I mean, they are lucky in the sense that there are two absolutely awful teams in their division, although they did lose to the Texans a few weeks ago. So <laughs> maybe not as much as a gimme as we might have thought. But uh, yeah, I, I have to think, I haven't seen anything really from Jacksonville this season at all. We happened, I think, to catch them in the one good game they played, other than that you know weird game against the Bills that they also won. Their offense... It just isn't there for me. I don't. I haven't seen Trevor Lawrence live up to the hype in any way, shape, or form yet. Their defense is a little bit better, but isn't. I mean, is capable of performing on any given week, but it doesn't seem to be every given week that they turn up. They seem to get blown out as many times as they get as they play well. So the Titans. I mean, Tannehill put if it's put on his shoulders. I mean, this is a good game to test that kind of can can we build a game without Derrick Henry? Do we have an offensive? performance that can be built around our passing and the such like so i think it's interesting to see if the titans can pull it off if they lose to this one as well as having lost the texans then i mean the clacks can start to to, yeah. to go off i mean they're not that far ahead of the colts because the colts are, are kind of steaming on um so they kind of have to pick these wins up if they want to hold on to this division that we thought was kind of signed sealed delivered say, uh, four or five weeks ago now they're there they are going to need to get to that 11 12 win mark and this is one they'll have to get the win to get there yeah, next up, Vegas at the Kansas City Chiefs in the division game for the AFC West. Yeah, the Chiefs, as I think we mentioned in the in the dump-off there, strong defensive performances, but the offense is still not clicking. There's a lot of missed passes from Pat Mahomes. He's still good, but he's nowhere near where he was. Vegas have, you know, some talent. Apparently, they have a great quarterback. That's news to me, Ronan. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, I the, didn't say great. I'm sorry. All I'm doing is deliberately misquoting you to make it a much more sensationalized <laughs> statement. I think that's completely valid. The Vegas, what, he's the best quarterback in the league? How dare uh, you? I can't, I can't believe you disrespect Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> well, he's uh, playing better than Patrick Mahomes right now. Whoa. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> is, is he? He's is getting he really? more yards, yes. more production. Would you take him over Patrick Mahomes? No, but that's, <laughs> that's a different question. The CV. That's a different yeah. question, Connor. Stop, I don't, know. Stop. I don't <laughs> know if it is. I don't know if it is. Maybe this is all big brain thinking. Who knows? Anyway, yeah, okay, so you're taking the Raiders then, right? No, like Kansas City's <laughs> defense is the best unit in this game. I think what they've shown over the last month, I think it's enough to believe that they, they have figured something out there and I think against uh, against uh, Derek Carr the one thing that he does struggle is if you get a lot of pressure on him and I think Kansas City have been very effective in doing that since they uh, made that, that tran- transaction for, for Melvin Ingram so mm. I think Kansas City I would love to see their offense like get back to what we expected like I talked about that last week but I'm 
you know, the, each week that goes on, it seems less and less likely. So it seems like this is probably a game that Kansas City will win the same way they beat Denver. Defense first, get a few turnovers, get pressure on Carr, and Carr will probably have decent stats at the end because he'll, he'll sting it out a bit. But like that Vegas defense is nowhere near the same. So I expect Kansas City can get this done here. Yeah, I mean, the best performance that the KC offense has put in this season was against the Raiders. So I think they have their number... I think I, I am going to defend Fizzle and I say I think Derek Carr is having a good season, is what I will say for him. But there's not an awful lot else going on with the Raiders on either side of the ball. They really haven't lived up to the the, the first few weeks. They looked like this would be an interesting team, but it's kind yeah. of fallen to bits instead, and they're very mediocre. Casey's defense playing very well. The offense, we know how talented it is, and I think this is a game that they will play well in because I think they match up well against the Raiders' defense. So, I mean, I, they could smash them. They honestly could put 40 points up here, I think. This could be, are the Chiefs back? Uh, another headline popping. Uh, well, see, I suppose, I suppose we're in December now. So, you know, you need to you need to stagger your uh, your returns. So now the defense is stepping up and then you don't want the offense to start stepping up, particularly because there's the extra weeks now this year. So we kind of probably don't want to mm. be hitting top gear until the end of December. But no, I, I, I'm, I'm worried about the offense at the moment. The defense is looking very good. And yes, it should cause car some issues. New Orleans at the Jets. Oh, wow. Ronan, tell us about this fantastic matchup. No. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone for New Orleans. There's yeah. Much like, look, said. The Jets are a terrible team. The New Orleans are, are a walking corpse right now. They'll have enough yards in them to, to get enough points that the Jets won't be able to keep up. But like, look, the Jets showed a little bit of life early on last week, so, so maybe they can make this a contest against a New Orleans team that's just yeah, falling yeah. apart. They're at home at least, and maybe that helps a bit. But yeah, the New Orleans team is sloppy, but you kind of... You kind of take, as you said, there's questions over Salah, so you're probably taking Sean Payton's kind of coaching here over Salah's at the moment, right? Yeah. Next up, San Francisco at Cincinnati. We've gone for Cincinnati across the board. As you said, San Francisco underwhelmed last week. So did Cincinnati, though. Is this purely a pick based on, like, the talent on the rosters, or...? Cincinnati have a solid defense. I know it got tore up in the secondary last week, but I think they're solid against the run. And I think we saw against in the Seattle game, the San Francisco, and, and other times this year, that when they, they can't run the ball, they're a very different team. And I think that's even more true now that Debo Samuel is out. And really, it's just Kittle and Ayuk. And Ayuk is a good complementary player, but, but he's not an engine of an offense, as it were. And so, yeah, San Francisco, after putting together a nice chunk of uh, form, really, you know, crapped the betting in Seattle. Their secondary is incredibly banged up, so in theory, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd should be able to get open, and Burrow, if, if his finger isn't affecting him, is a good enough quarterback to get it done. And, but, like, look, to be fair, both these teams are, the only consistent thing about them is that they're inconsistent, so you wouldn't trust either of them here um, with any confidence, but, like, mm. I think Cincinnati, we've seen the upside that they have, that they can actually be a really good team at their best, whereas San Francisco, at their best, they're just a, you know, a solid running game that gets, you know, wins, but I'm willing to give Cincinnati, uh, you know, the, the, the favoritism here. No, that seems fair. Next up, Detroit at Denver Broncos. Oh, Denver, we've gone for. This is not a good game. Don't bother watching it. Basically, I'm just kind of expecting the Denver defense to be able to cause issues because there's not a lot of skill on this Detroit offense. But honestly, Detroit could get a second win here. Like, it's yeah. it's not going to be a good game. It's not one to the, bother the, watching. The only, the only good thing for Detroit is that the, the strength of that uh, team in Denver is their secondary, and Detroit don't yeah. pass that much. Yeah, they don't really. <laughs> Just don't bother watching it. 
points back, big plays out of Denver's defense, a couple of mistakes from Detroit, probably confirmation about Goff not being the future there would be what I would expect. Ronan, your pick of the week is up next. It's a tasty game. Well, we say yeah. a tasty game. It depends on what Buffalo team turn up. we got Buffalo going to Tampa Bay, and we've all decided that if the Patriots can do it, so can Touchdown Tom and Tampa Bay are going to going to beat Buffalo. Well, that's the narrative, right? Like Buffalo coming off a psychologically devastating loss to New England in a truly unprecedented fashion. And okay, it's next week. Who are we facing? And it's, oh, fuck's sake. It's Tom fucking Brady. <laughs> that cunt um, back <laughs> to to harass us, back to, to steal our souls. And it's like, you can't catch a break, it feels like, probably, if you're Buffalo. But, like, look, they've got to come in here and show show us what they've got. Like, I think this is a better matchup for them than New England. Like, Tampa Bay secondary is the worst thing about their defense. And even their run defense hasn't really been at the races the last couple of weeks. Um, So, in theory, Josh Allen should be able to sling the ball out. But we saw, you know, in most notably the Super Bowl last year, that Tampa Bay can scheme correctly, that they can stop those explosive plays and they can slow you down and they can force you to do it the hard way. And Buffalo, like Kansas City, like Dallas, when games where, you know, the explosive plays are taken away, they struggle. They're not really able to make it work. They're not really able to just be consistent rather than being explosive. And so, yeah, I think that's why we're favoring Tampa Bay alongside, of course, the Tampa Bay's offense for most of the season has looked like, you know, the Tampa Tampa Bay offense we expect, especially now the last couple of weeks, Gronk comes back, Tom Brady has a safety blanket and it makes such a huge difference to him and you see these big plays coming up the seams and that's now creating more open space for Evans and Godwin. Just like those three guys make such a big difference and even if they do like sell out to stop the pass, Lenny, playoff Lenny has been in effect for a few weeks at this point so they're able to run the ball very effectively and he's also effective when you dump the ball off to him and he can get go there. So look, Tampa Bay are a team that we trust for obvious reasons they're a team that for most of the season has looked pretty imperious and Buffalo are a team that you know seems to be struggling to adjust to the new realities of, of the NFL like defenses struggling to get those big ga- big games that they, they got used to I suppose last year but Buffalo can prove that they can be explosive against that if they can get the big yards then you've got to give them a shot they're not a bad team they have a solid they have a solid defense so it's been kind of disappointing over the last month let's see if they can get it done because if you lose to New England Tampa Bay New England like how much will you hate yourself <laughs> after that particular sequence I would imagine you would hate yourself a lot and if you're a fan of the Bills you'll probably hate yourself a lot as well sorry to the the Bills fans I know we have in our audience like the, I suppose the hope is that you know it was kind of, I won't say once in a once in a season, but like, you know, hopefully close enough to once in a season kind of event that they had to play through the last time. And even though they lost to that New England team who have an incredibly good defense, they did play well against them. I suppose they've got a shot, but it is that, it is that problem of no one outside of Tampa Bay shooting themselves in the foot. Not a lot of people have been able to slow them. But the Bills have a very good defense though. So, I mean, there is, there is a good battle on that side of the ball. And on the other side, I mean... Yeah, it is, it's a game for Stefan Diggs. He's had a very poor season, and given how banged up the, the Tampa Bay secondary are, if Allen and Diggs can get on their groove, they can put up a lot of points. So there's every chance the Bills can win. But yeah, it just kind of feels the way these teams are going at the moment, the trajectories they're on. And I mean, the Bills, I think, probably are 
have a bit of a psychological inferiority complex against anything to do with New England, including Tom Brady. So I could see them squeaking it. I could see the scenario in which the Bills yeah. managed to, to put up enough points to win, but I think most times it's not going to happen. This would be a huge one for them if they could. This would be a this would be kind of a, a I don't want to overstate it, but probably season defining kind of thing that if they can come back from that Monday night football, come into Tampa Bay and do the business and do it convincingly and say, look. The, the sloppiness that we had the last couple of weeks is now behind us and we're moving on. That'll be that'll be huge. And don't forget, like the AFC, like I, I know they have an advantage right now, like a game, but like there is a huge swarm of teams that are in that kind of, you know, 500 and slightly above area. If Buffalo lose games like this and lose against New mm. England, then there's a chance they could even fall out of the playoff spots completely. And I don't expect that to happen. They have, uh, I forgot there is one game before the next New England game against Carolina, but, you know, who cares about Carolina? But, uh, <laughs> Like they, they, they have some easier games, but you know, just they, they, I think they can get this back in track. I obviously had my Super Bowl pick. I think they will get back on track. But if they lose these games against the better teams, just psychologically, I don't know where they're going to be when, when, you, when we get to January football, if they make it there. Giants at the Chargers. We've gone for the Chargers across the board, Sean. Yeah, I mean, potentially a little bit interesting in terms of the fact that Giants' defense has gotten a lot better in the last few weeks and, and they're beginning to find their form. The problem the Giants have is they don't have an offense. They barely had an offense when Daniel Jones was playing, but now if they're down to their third-string quarterback, uh, it's Jake not looking from, very... Jake baby! <laughs> looking good for them at all. And the Chargers' defense is weak, but it's not that weak, and they, they <laughs> have looked a little bit better in the last few weeks. So it'll be interesting. It's like it's like two good units on one side of the ball and two bad units on the other side of the ball. And ultimately, I think the Chargers just have more talent on both sides. I just can't see the Giants scoring that many points, which when you're playing against Justin Herbert, it's always a bad idea. You kind of need to be keeping, keeping pace at, at the very least um, with what he's doing. All the Giants can really hope for is that there's, you know, the Chargers will charge and they'll make the usual errors. But that seems to be the only way which I can see the Giants winning this game is if the Chargers have a kind of a, a very bad game full of turnovers and, and errors. Chicago Green Bay on Sunday Night Football. We've gone for Green Bay across the board. They're coming off the bye, obviously. But is is there any chance for Chicago in this one? You know, this is a game that perhaps deserves more respect in the sense of it's a, it's a, it's a storied rivalry and Chicago are technically still alive because NFC. But I'm not going to pay that respect. I think Green Bay come off the bye. They have their two running backs healthy. They have Devontae Adams. Their offense will probably do well enough against Chicago, probably 20 plus points. And Chicago's offense, after what they put up last week, is absolutely shocking. Um, so I think Green Bay's defense, which will be solid, um, should get this done. So less than 1% chance for Chicago. No respect for that team. <laughs> Finally, Monday Night Football, Sean. This is your pick of the week. LA Rams at the Arizona Cardinals. This is a big matchup for the NFC seeding. This is a big one for a lot of things. Me and Fitz yeah. have gone for Arizona. You've gone for the Rams. This is the Rams' entire season. If they are Super Bowl or bust, this is their entire season because given how good to say the top four teams in the NFC are, home advantage is going to be huge in the playoffs. If the Rams end up the fifth seed, it's going to be it's very difficult to see them having to win three road games just to get to the Super Bowl. And those three road games meaning they'll have to probably beat the Cowboys, then the Packers, and then the Bucks or the Cardinals back to back to back. So home advantage is huge, especially since the Rams, if they manage to get home advantage for a part of the playoffs, will also have home advantage for the Super Bowl. So they have to win this game because if they don't win this game, then they're not going to win the Super Bowl. And I picked them to win the Super Bowl. So therefore, logically, 
They have to win this game. Even though there's a problems, they're flat track bullies. They don't tend to do well against good teams. They got kind of eaten alive by the Cardinals back in week five or six, whenever it was. Um, that final, kind of the first game where we saw the card, this Cardinals team is for real. The Cardinals look more balanced on both sides of the ball, but the Rams have a lot of talent. And if Matt Stafford avoids errors and if the defense can begin to become more cohesive and if they can take the good stuff from the Jacksonville win rather than the bad stuff from, say, the, the performance of the weeks before that, and they can get things together. It's a, they've got a talented coaching team. They've got talent all around. They have to win this game. You have to imagine they're, they're going to have schemed this up. They're going to have thought about it a lot. It's a divisional matchup, so they'll know their opponents very well. So I, I, I just feel that the Rams will scrape this out because otherwise the season is going to fall apart for them. That is more in hope than expectation because I, I'm kind of committed to the Rams doing well now to not look stupid since I've not only picked them at the start of the season, I also picked them halfway through the season when they were already on their losing streak. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Don't let me down, Sean McVay, is what I'm saying. Don't let me down. I think on the other side, what's interesting is obviously we had Kyler Murray come back against uh, Chicago, look pretty good, but challenging conditions. He didn't quite see whether they're going to be that like slinging that offense they were for for the first half of the season. So, and he had that touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins. So it'll be interesting to see whether they choose, obviously in a much more amenable environment uh, in Glendale in the dome, whether they revert back to that Arizona offense we saw early, the big explosive plays, um, big holes for for James Conner. Uh, as well, who's having a good season. So I'm actually more interested to see if, if Arizona are still the team we expected them, what well, we saw earlier this year. But the Rams, like, look like I think their defense will need to show up this game. They've kind of been a little bit missing in action, considering that, you know, they have all those investments and they traded for Vaughn Miller and stuff like that. They obviously get a huge challenge here against Kyler Murray, obviously one of the most frustrating um, players to play. You know, maybe Darren Doll needs to knock them out a bit uh, if they want to make do in this game. But overall, look, I think Arizona... They've earned my respect. Uh, you know, obviously, I disrespect them for long periods. Uh, I had to be convinced to come on board. But based on what I saw, I think Kyler is healthy. He'll look more like the Kyler we saw rather than last year where he, he was banged up late on and wasn't the same player. I think he is going to be the Kyler we expect. They gave him that extra time off. They let Cole McCoy win a couple of games. And I think they're just in a really good position to get that number one seed. So I think the Cardinals are the class of the NFC. And I think they'll be able to show that against the, what we've called a soft, fraudulent Rams team. If they lose in convincing fashion here, I think that will be the final nail in their coffins, as as you say, as a Super Bowl contender. What I'm looking for for the Rams, I know it was kind of talked up a bit that they were getting their running game going and stuff like that in the last game, but I'm just I'm I'm not buying it at the moment. It's not got the juggernaut well, feel that was being promised to it. You know, they well, it's interesting because obviously they they. They did that with Michelle because Henderson was injured. Henderson's yeah. expected back this week. I'd wonder if they're going to mix in more Michelle because of that and be a bit more of a rough and tumble aspect to their offense to kind of get away with that. I suppose that's softness we I, talked about. I, I, I get that, but it was against the Jags. So well, it yeah, doesn't but, count. Like, and Sonny Michelle didn't look particularly good at times. He looked lost at times. He looked like he was missing assignments and not sure what he was doing at times. It didn't actually... A lot of commentators were saying, oh, they're back on track. Michelle really... It's great trade. They're now going to have a great running game. It's like, no, that was the Jags. It doesn't count. Do it against a good team. So I'll be intrigued to see that element here, although I know Arizona's defense is a little bit banged up as well. And as you said, look, Rams' defense needs to step up. They've got a lot of big-name players. We need to see this will be, you know, kind of, you know, they've got their number one wide receivers versus number one cornerbacks here. We've got, as you say, elusive quarterbacks running around behind the top defensive line play 
in the league in theory. So it should be an exciting matchup. So we'll see. But yeah, Arizona for myself, Rams for yourself, Sean, and Arizona for Fitz. We're 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 all bunched up in the picks so far this year. Sean's at one twelve, I'm at one fifteen, and me. Fitz is at one nineteen. <laughs> so we're very close. What five weeks left? Yeah, five weeks left. So fun times. Any other crack with yourselves, lads? Any plans for the for the week ahead? Other than obviously hide from the storms. I'm mostly in uh, shutdown mode, so uh, I'll be heading home probably next weekend. Um, so probably basically get one small shop in this week and then basically avoid any unnecessary social contacts until then as a precaution. Therefore, not too interesting. Be watching the sport, uh, see how United's revolution continues week one. There's obviously the big Formula One finale where, where both the top two drivers are on the exact same points. Yeah. Um, so some decent sport on. That's about it for me. Maybe yourself, Sean? Yeah, Christmas shopping. I got to get some Christmas shopping done. Got that thing where you don't, where you don't know what to get people and you kind of leave it to the last minute. I'm kind of doing that this year, which is not a great idea. But Yeah, particularly uh, because it's now hard. You have to you now have to get it in person, even though you don't want to be in person because it's too late to get yeah, stuff delivered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm in a relatively similar spot. I've got, I've, got, I've got the important ones. I've got the wife gotten the present for. I've got some bits for the folks and stuff, but I still have to get the rest of all the presents. So, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to have to look at that this weekend a bit as well. And obviously, hopefully work will be done in the house and I can start the immense amount of cleaning and repainting and slowly piecing back together that will be required to uh, to get the house looking looking good again. No, very fun. So I suppose that'll do us for this week. So it's bye for myself. Bye from Ron. Bye. Bye from John. Bye. It's been all for quarters. Thanks for listening. Shut up, next week.